thousand tongues to sing our Savior's praise. And to hear you guys sing is excellent. And when we get to heaven, we'll all sound really good. Um, until then, we offer our, our praise to God and prepare our hearts uh, to see Him face to face. Those who are four to sixth grade, you can go to uh, children's choir. All those sixth grade and younger. And we'll stay in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, in the beginning of 2. This is a long section of scripture. And if you have read it like I did, um, you may not understand it very well the first time through. This isn't the easiest passage to, uh, to get the first time, and I wrestled with it quite a bit uh, this week. There are stories of people in ministry where they are very evangelistic, and those in their church say, you just want a big church, that's why you're evangelistic. Or um, all kinds of other misunderstandings that people have. And Paul is desiring to come to the Corinthians. Part of him wants to come, and you will see here the part of him doesn't want to come. And the Corinthian believers are misunderstanding what he is doing, why is he changing his plans. And he is continuing to minister to them, and we'll see how many times he has written to them and uh, come to them. And as we minister to people, uh, there are others that minister to them too. And if there's some competition, which we see later in 2 Corinthians, where there are a couple, they probably are Judaizers, false teachers, have come in from the outside to Corinth, and they are telling the Corinthians not to follow Paul and not to uh, listen to what he says, and to, um, to follow them instead. And so Paul writes this second letter to help uh, the Corinthians to understand his ministry, encouraging them to minister with him. Uh, and then the end of the book, chapters 10 to 13, we'll see how he goes after those false teachers and warns uh, the Corinthians about them. Uh, but there, it is likely that they are influencing uh, the church to not trust Paul, not to follow him as he follows Christ, as we have seen in Second or First Corinthians eleven one, and there are times in ministry when we our heart is right, our motive is is right, but people question what we're doing and why we're doing it, and so in misunderstanding. And if you're a parent, you've been misunderstood. If you're a teacher, you've been misunderstood. If you're a well-meaning neighbor, uh, you've been misunderstood. Uh, you just have to live long enough with people that maybe don't like you <laughs> or don't like your leadership style or don't like something about what you're doing, and you, you'll be misunderstood. And the world is going to misunderstand us and the ministry that we have with them, but we don't change what we say. And so what do we do when we're misunderstood? And I think this is helpful for us because last week we talked about comfort in ministry and suffering like Christ and uh, prayer and relying on God is there. And that we're going to build on uh, relying on God. Whenever we're misunderstood, we have to keep relying on God and communicate what we can uh, to those that we're ministering to 
uh, of our heart for them and our heart for the Lord. So ministry, though misunderstood, we need to know what to do if Christians misunderstand us while ministering for Christ. It's one thing to be attacked by unbelievers, and we know the world isn't our friend. It's another thing for Christians to attack us and our ministry. And if you're in ministry for any length of time, you will be attacked, uh, you will be misunderstood, and you see the idea here of understanding in the first couple verses which is why we got our uh, title of misunderstanding, um, and ministry is the, the theme of the book, okay? So our God wants us to magnify Him while others misunderstand our ministry. You'll never go wrong with keep magnifying God. Your kids don't like the rules, keep magnifying God for them. Your students don't like the, the, the assignments, you just keep magnifying God uh, for them. Those in our church here that you're ministering to and those outside of our church you're ministering to, what do we do with people that don't want what we say? We just keep magnifying God to them. This is our job as believers to keep magnifying God. And Paul's going to do that here in difficult uh, times as um, the Corinthians uh, from outside influences are causing them to uh, doubt um, and, uh, and, and struggle underneath Paul's ministry. Now, if this were to happen today, Paul could get on Skype, FaceTime, with the, on the phone with these Corinthian believers and talk to them, but this is all happening over mail, and it's not the, it's not the fast Pony Express, or it's not uh, a couple days, and it gets from uh, modern-day Turkey to Greece. This is going on a boat by hand with someone that you trust, and to get it to uh, someone else, and it, it could take weeks for letters to get from Paul to Corinth, and then as uh, Timothy was sent at the end of chapter, end of the first book, uh, Timothy uh, was sent, um, and then he's discerning, are the Corinthians still struggling, and Timothy's trying to minister to them, and he's going to take a word back to Paul, and Paul's going to write them a, a letter that we'll see today before he writes 2 Corinthians. And then he gets some more information. So it takes time for this information to go back and forth. So between First and Second Corinthians, about a year of time. But there's a lot of communication, but it's slow communication that goes back and forth from where Paul's at in Ephesus and other of his missionary journeys to Corinth, which is in, the, um, in modern-day Greece. And so as Paul gets information... Uh, he is trying to discern, does he, does he need to go? Is it that bad of a situation in Corinth that i got to go in person and help them because I help them to, to trust Christ? Do I have to help them because they're really struggling? Um, and with Timothy's visit, they were really struggling. By the time we get to 2 Corinthians 7, there is great joy that Titus comes back and has a good report uh, of the Corinthian believers. And so... Uh, 2 Corinthians, likely here, is our fourth letter that Paul writes, and I'll show you the other three as we get uh, near the end of our message today. So magnifying God while others misunderstand us. It is when we get attacked as ministers of the gospel, whenever you get attacked as a parent, you want to defend yourself. You want to defend what you did, why you did it, if they are saying that, they don't even know. If they knew 
they would not say this, okay? And we, we often want to react in a fleshly way, and that's not what we're seeing here from Paul. And we need to learn as leaders and as parents and as disciple makers, ministers of the gospel, to when we're misunderstood, we just keep magnifying God. Verse 12, for our boast is this. Now, in other uh, passages, we have seen Paul boasting in the Thessalonians, Paul boasting in the cross of Christ. And so our boasts are what we're proud of. And I have wrestled with whether or not to tell uh, my kids and others, hey, I'm really proud of you. But that's the word here for boasting. And so there is a, a small sliver of pride that is biblical, that's pleasing to God. And a lot of our pride is not pleasing to God. But here, boasting, the object is, is what makes it good or bad, whether it pleases God or not. So let's see what he's boasting in. Our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. So internally, we're boasting about something, and here's what we're boasting of, that we behaved in the world, so with the Corinthians uh, in view, and as they travel on their missionary journeys, Paul and his uh, friends, Timothy and others, we have behaved in the world with simplicity And the root of that is holiness, or the opposite of duplicity, or having a double mind, being single-minded and separate from the world, and a godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. Really, we ministered to you like this. And our boast, what we are proud of, is this, that we behaved in the world with a single focus, holy living, and a godly sincerity. And not with earthly wisdom, as James 3 tells us, which is earthly, sensual, and demonic. It's not earthly wisdom, the wisdom of the world. This is God's wisdom with, if you see here, but by the grace of God. God's wisdom with God's power. And Paul says, I boasting this way, and this is the testimony of my conscience, our conscience. We have evaluated what we're doing and our evaluation of ourselves. We are trying to live in the world this way, with simplicity, singly uh, focused on pleasing God, separate from the world, and with a genuineness that should remind you of God, a godly sincerity. So magnifying God with misunderstandings and these Four, or three verses here, we'll keep reading in verse 13. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. So they partially understand it, which is why they're misunderstanding some of Paul's ministry and Timothy's ministry as he sent Timothy to them at the end of uh, the first letter. And so they're misunderstanding the ministry of Paul to them, and Paul says that we've evaluated ourselves, our conscience is saying, no, this is... We have behaved in uh, simplicity, godly sincerity, not with earthly wisdom, trusting in the grace of God, and supremely so toward. We we made sure that when we ministered to you, this is what this was what was motivating us internally, and we were writing to you so that you will fully understand this. Verse fourteen, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So Paul brings the future 
of whenever all of us as Christians are standing before God, and here are the Corinthians, and here are Paul, and Paul says, I am writing to you that so one day you'll understand that when we stand before God and all of the books are open and all of the motives are revealed, that you will boast in us and we'll boast in you, that we'll be proud of our, our, of our ministry to each other. And so with the future in mind, with the glory of Jesus Christ in mind, with the grace of God in mind, we magnify God, we magnify his grace through boasting. Paul's not boasting in his own wisdom or in his own, um, his own um, grace. You can see that back in the first book that he says, I didn't come to you in, cleverly, uh, in clever ways. I, di- I didn't come to you with these, these slick arguments. I came to you so that you would just realize the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And here he, is being, he, he was challenged uh, by the Corinthians, and he says, you can look right inside of our conscience and see that our motives were pure and genuine. He's going to bring up uh, internal, um, his motives again at the end of our, our section here. But magnifying God's grace through boasting. Boasting is usually something negative like pride. However, the object of our boasting is what makes it pleasing or displeasing to God. Our conscience can convince us that we are focusing on ourselves, which would be earthly wisdom from James 3, 14 and 15, or on God's grace in our ministry. The fruit of relying on God's grace is, in this passage in verse 12, is holiness and godly sincerity. And a couple other times in um, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 8, godly sincerity is opposite of malice and evil. And uh, malice and evil is the opposite of sincerity and truth. And so he has a genuine love, concern for the Corinthians, and this is what's motivating him to minister, and it's um, God's grace is empowering. So the questions for us from these three verses, does your conscience convince you that you are relying on God's grace or yourself in your ministry to others? In your parenting, are you relying on God's grace or on the earth's wisdom? There are so many how-to books, you probably couldn't read one a day and get through all of them. And yet there is one primary book that we as parents must know, and we must magnify God and His grace And would your children, if they looked at your life, they would say, I don't agree with mom or dad and their parenting, but there is nothing worldly or they don't have godly sincerity. There's not hypocrisy. They're not one way at church and another way at home. They are genuine. They genuinely love God. And they can see that. And and when they ask about our love for God, we're giving God's grace the... um, the glory. God gets the glory for the work that he's done in us, and we are um, having fruit of godly sincerity and holiness in our life. Can others see, when you come to church, when you have long conversations with other Christians, can they see a godly sincerity and holiness in your life? Does your heart for others really want them to understand? So here's Paul's heart. He says, I really want you to understand What's going on inside of me? Does your heart for others really want them to understand so that on the day of Jesus' judgment of us all, as you stand with 
other people from Grace Bible Church in front of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want them to boast in the grace of God that we all enjoyed, that we enjoyed God's grace to us and other people enjoyed God's grace as it flowed through us in our ministry? That's what we want. There's the focus there of Paul in magnifying God's grace through boasting. He's not boasting in himself. He's boasting in God's grace. Second section is a little longer, verses 15 to 22. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. And I wanted, you, I wanted to visit you on my way back to Macedonia. Macedonia is north of, of where uh, Greece is. And to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way. So here's what Paul's original plan was. I want to come to you in Corinth and I'm going to go north to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is and Berea and other places in uh, Acts 18 uh, on the first missionary journey when he went down to Corinth. So his plan was to go through Corinth and then up to Macedonia and then come back down through Corinth again. So to see them twice. And remember at the end of 1 Corinthians, he had them preparing to give to those people who had need, Christians who had need in Judea. So he was going to go through Corinth, encourage them, come back through Corinth and take the money that they had collected and take it on to Judea hundreds of miles away. All right, so that was his plan. And that the end of verse 16, that you, have sent, that you would send me on my way to Judea with that gift that we saw in the first book. Verse 17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Okay, so we have people in Corinth who love Paul, respect him, appreciate that he led them to Christ and helped them to organize as a church. And we got a few people that have come from outside of Corinth and said, Paul is no good. Look at how this guy changes his plans. And the Corinthians are saying, yeah, I thought he was supposed to come to us. And now he didn't come to us. Timothy came, and, and we, we, didn't, we didn't get to see Paul. And uh, he just gave us this letter, 1 Corinthians, and, um, and he wanted us to uh, collect money, and, and now he's not even coming. Okay, well, okay, at, at times in ministry, we have to change our plans. It's just how it is. If I got really sick last night, I would not be preaching here today, and the plans would change. Someone would get a call. Pastor Ty would probably get the call. He better be ready. If he couldn't do it, John Sparkman, John Secchi's uh, not here uh, for a couple weeks, but we have guys at church that can fill in if there's a change of plans. And um, if you've ever taken a mission trip, I have taken seven, eight mission trips. None of them go as planned. There are always things that you have to be flexible with because things come up and uh, there are allergic reactions on two of my mission trips. Another one, uh, we almost lost a couple girls in the ocean off of jet skis and it changed our plans, okay? So you have to be flexible with ministry plans. Everyone in ministry knows that. If you go on vacation with a, a large family, not just you and your spouse, if you have a large family, there's likely that that vacation is not going to go as planned. And I can give you a horror story of Disney World that did not go as planned, okay? So we all have this idea as ministers of the gospel, ministers uh, to our families, that when we do something, it, no matter how organized we are and we've got these plans, plans can change. And if your plans change, 
those that you are ministering to can misunderstand, why did you change the plan? Why did you cut out this part of our trip? This was my, this was the thing I was looking forward to the most. Okay, well, plans change, and I'm sorry. Okay, that's where Paul's at here, where he was wanting to come to them, plans change, and he's going to explain a little bit that here was my plan, verses 15 and 16, then 17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Oh, yeah, I'm going to come to you guys, but I'm not really going to come to you. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, but no, I'm not really going to do that. That's not how Paul makes his plans. And that, those who are at Corinth who, said, who hear Paul saying, I'm going to come to you, and now he doesn't come, and you, you begin to not trust Paul. And that's a dangerous place to be because here is someone who's giving you God's word. And if you don't trust him with his plans to come visit you, you're going to doubt everything else that's in 1 Corinthians. And now here in 2 Corinthians, you're going to tell them a lot of truth that they're going to need. And if they don't trust him, they're not going to want to listen to him. Just like as a parent, if your kids do not trust you um, and think you always change your mind, everything I was looking forward to, you change you change your mind. Whenever you open up the Bible with them, they don't want to hear it, okay? So we have to be uh, understanding. We have to teach our children that sometimes we have to be flexible, that God changes plans for us. But God doesn't change. So he focuses then on not just himself, but now he turns our focus to magnify our Savior. Verses 18 uh, to 22 is a magnifying of God. As surely as God is faithful, Our word to you has not been yes or no. You can trust what we've written, Paul's saying here, as as sure as God is faithful. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you. And it's very clear in 1 Corinthians that Paul uh, proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over again. And then the resurrection of Christ in chapter 15. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I. So, as Sylvanus came and Timothy came and, and they could compare the messages that they got from these men of God, they all were saying the same thing. Jesus Christ is Lord. Submit to Jesus. Follow Christ. Don't follow your own self. Turn from your selfishness. That was the message of 1 Corinthians. Now verse um, 19 continues. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our message to you was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. You can always trust Jesus, he is saying. Jesus doesn't change his plans to rescue you. Jesus doesn't change the idea that you're going to be resurrected one day and say, oh, no, I don't really want you anymore, okay? <laughs> you, I promised you eternal life, and that's not going to happen, okay? This is not. So while I, we had to change our ministry plans, Paul's saying, don't equate our changing ministry plans with Jesus changing his promises to you. That's not how it goes. Verse, 9, verse 20, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ. Christ guarantees that God's promises will be, have been fulfilled for salvation in his first coming. They will be fulfilled in his second coming. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Christ is the ultimate amen. It's capitalized there. So be it of what God promises he always does. Verse 21, 
And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. It has anointed us, uh, chosen us, set us apart, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What you see here in verse 21 and 22 is the Trinity. And in Kids for Truth, they've been studying the Trinity. And you can see multiple times throughout the New Testament that God at times reveals himself to us and tells us what God the Father is doing, what God the Son is doing, what God the Holy Spirit is doing, just in a matter of one or two verses. And this is one of those times. So what is God the Father doing? God the Father gives us promises in verse 20. God the Father is establishing us in Christ, or rooting us, putting, planting us. We are solid, we're growing in Christ. That's verse 21. God the Father has anointed us like someone chosen out of Israel, like David was, and anointed and said, you're going to be the next king. And for years later, uh, uh, years later, as the Israelites realized, Sam, God chose Samuel. Samuel said, Samuel, or God told Samuel, go to David, anoint him as the next king of Israel. And Na- uh, David was uh, on the path to being coming king. His dad wasn't king. God chose him out of being a shepherd to be king. Here is God choosing us, establishing us in Christ, anointing us as his, um, as his children, verse 22 and who has put his seal on us, like we belong to him, like a signet ring that would be unique to the, to the family. Um, put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee that we belong to God. We are in Christ. We belong to God. God has chosen us, established us. We're secure in Christ. And here are the Corinthians who are not sure they want to listen to Paul. And Paul's telling them about, okay, our plans might change, but there are things in your life that are true for all Christians of all time. And here are those things. Our God, our Father, has chosen us and given us great, exceeding, precious promises. God's plans don't change because God doesn't change. Our plans have to change in a fallen world. Circumstances come up. But God doesn't change. God's promises don't change. Christ doesn't change. The Holy Spirit inside of us doesn't change. And all that that we are, that, that the Corinthians were looking at Paul, doubting Paul, Paul focused them off of himself and said, you can doubt me because plans change, yes. But don't doubt our message. Don't doubt God. God doesn't change. His promises don't change. And you can go through that, and it is very rich. And uh, we could spend a lot of time just on verses 20 to 22. You may have saw back in verse 15, I, I went over it quickly, the second experience of grace. There are churches that claim that you get a second um, second experience of grace, or you get the full measure of the Holy Spirit sometime after your salvation. That's not what's in view here. It's just a second blessing. I'd like to see you a second time, Paul is saying, so that we could experience the grace of God together. It's not have anything to do with salvation or um, a special filling or special power that some would say. That's not, that's not the best interpretation of 
in the context, it doesn't match it either. So that's what uh, we would interpret that in verse 15. Changing plans can cause those that we minister to to doubt our love for them or holiness in magnifying Christ. Even if our plans for ministry change, God's Son and God's promises don't, and God's Spirit. All believers need to see the Father establishing us with other believers. The promises that God makes to Paul and Paul gives to the Corinthians and they trust in God's promises puts all Christians in one location. That location in verse 21 is in Christ. We're together. Now, you can look at other believers and say, I don't like you, I don't trust you, I'm misunderstanding your ministry, and I'd rather not be with you. That doesn't change our, all of our position as believers. We're together, we're in Christ. He also talked about it back in verse 14, that one day when we all stand before Christ, we're all going to be boasting of God's grace to us and through us. So there you're going to be with fellow believers that are in Christ as well. There's unity here while there's misunderstanding of these people in Paul's ministry. And so it is with us. If we have believers around us that we'd rather not be with, that we misunderstand them, we think they're up to no good, they're in a power grab, they're oppressors, or whatever else that we, that we hear uh, today, um, that may or may not be true. Uh, but if their message is the Word of God and accurate um, expl explanation of who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are, what they're doing for us, uh, then they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Christ, God the Father is giving us His Spirit as a guarantee that we belong to Him, and we are very secure in Christ. So evaluation question for us, when others assume the worst of us, if we change our plans to be with them, can we help them focus on the unchangeableness of the Father, Son, and Spirit? That's what Paul does as there's misunderstanding. Now the last, uh, the last uh, section here, verses 23 to 2-4. But I call God to witness against me. If you are going to call God to witness against you, who is on, let's say, imagine there's a witness stand here. Who, is going, who are you calling to the witness stand to testify? What do we know about this person on the stand? He knows everything. If you're going to call God to witness to you, you better be right. Because if you're not right, he's going to expose it. And that's how the psalmist does in Psalm 139. God, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So this reminds me of Psalm 139 in that Psalm in 24 verses um, as expecting God to search him and try him. Here Paul says, okay, so if you doubt whether I'm, I'm really genuine and serious, I would call God to witness against me. And it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So if the Corinthians are saying, why didn't you come then? And spend time with us. Paul says, okay, I'll call God to witness, and this is the reason. I called God to witness, and here's the reason. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. I knew it wasn't going to be a pleasant visit, Paul said. Now, if you got that from Paul, you would hopefully humbly say, huh, I wonder what he would go after us for this time. Okay, And if you got 1 Corinthians, you got a lot that he went after them for in 1 Corinthians. And as he got sent Timothy, Timothy probably comes back with a bad report. 
Timothy is known for being shy and timid in Scripture in his books, and so it's likely that there was very little effect that Timothy had on the Corinthians that would carry out, continue to carry out Paul's ministry. And Timothy probably comes back shaking his head. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with those people. All right, and Timothy comes back with a bad report, and Paul writes a letter before he writes Second Corinthians to them uh, to help clear up some misunderstandings. So he calls God to witness. Okay, and then he says, "I want to spare you." Why is he writing this? Verse twenty-four. Not that we lord it over your faith. We're demanding that you trust God. You have to trust God this way and this time, and you have to show that you're trusting God by obeying everything that I wrote in 1 Corinthians. Okay? And Paul says, I, I didn't come to you because I didn't want to lord it over your faith, but we wanted to work with you for your joy. We wanted to bring you along so that you wouldn't be um, just following us and not understanding what you're doing. Um, but we wanted to work with you for your joy. So as you are growing as a Christian, you're joyful in laying aside sin and following Christ with us. For you stand firm in your faith. What is their faith in? Their faith is in what Paul just mentioned, that, yeah, we have the same God and Father. We have the same promises. We have the same Christ. We have the same Spirit. We are guaranteed that we belong to God. We're standing firm in that and Paul says, I want your trust not to be in me, that you have to have me in order to have faith. No, you can have faith without me here. And if I were to come here, I would, it wouldn't be a pleasant visit. Verse 1 of chapter 2. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. And scholars think that Paul went to them briefly, left his ministry in modern-day Turkey, went across to them, spent a little time, and left. And so that probably was his second visit there, and his third visit's going to be on another missionary journey. But he says, I don't want to make another painful visit to you, because that second brief visit, from what we can tell, was painful. Verse 2, For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? If you had to give someone that you love really bad news because they're doing what's wrong, they're hurting themselves, they're hurting other people, and you have to confront them, and it doesn't go well, you cause them pain. Now, it's right for you to confront people when they're not doing right, and we do this all the time as parents, but you hate to constantly be a pain to your children. You hate to constantly be a pain to those that you're discipling. But sometimes it's necessary, but at times it's not necessary. And so Paul says, you know what? It wasn't necessary. I wanted to come. It wasn't necessary for me to come. So in order to, to not cause you pain, I didn't come. Here's Paul's heart for them. And if I wanted joy and ministry to make you glad, how am I going to be glad if I cause you pain and you are pained by me being there and painful to leave? Or I'd probably be rejoicing to leave. Uh, verse 3, and, as, and I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those whom should have made me rejoice. When our children walk in truth, it causes us joy. When our spiritual children walk in truth, it causes joy. This is the joy of ministry when people follow, follow us as we follow Christ, 1 Corinthians 11. Verse uh, 3 continues, for I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. Now, when we get to chapter 7, 
and Titus visits the Corinthians after Paul's brief visit, Titus brings back joy because Paul's letter, 1 Corinthians, and this tearful letter that is not recorded for us in Scripture, we don't have it preserved because it's not Scripture, but Paul writes this uh, third letter to them uh, in verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. You say third letter? Yeah, there's a first letter. If you want to go back for time, we're not going to go back. 1 Corinthians 5.9 talks about a brief letter that Paul writes about what to do with immorality in the church. Then he writes the second letter, which is 1 Corinthians. The third letter is called the painful or tearful letter here in 2.4. And then the fourth letter that Paul writes is 2 Corinthians. So we've got these four letters, and he has, and we have other letters that Paul's written, like the, to the church of Laodicea. We don't have that letter so it's not Scripture. But Paul writes other letters that are outside of what's recorded for us. And so when he says that, we can kind of put these, uh, the chronological time frame of when he gives truth to the Corinthians uh, in his books. But he's magnifying. What is he magnifying here? And uh, I think we get a clear picture of what he's magnifying in verse 4. But I wrote to you out, uh, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. When we have to tell someone that we're ministering to something hard that's true, they doubt our love. Whenever we get disciplined as children, teenagers, adults, we can doubt our love the love of the person that's disciplining us, or God's love if he's disciplining us. But that's a wrong place to be. That's a misunderstanding. And so the Corinthians look at Paul's change of plans, and Paul tells them why he changes his plans. And he says, I changed my plans because I didn't want to come another painful time to you, and I wrote you a letter instead, and it was a tearful letter. I was crying while I was writing it to you. And I wrote it to you so that you would know the abundant love I have for you. There it is. So what is he magnifying? He's magnifying God's love. Have the Corinthians already heard about God's love? Have they been given any definitions of love? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. So if you were to compare what Paul's motives and methods are here with 1 Corinthians 13, is Paul being patient and kind and not easily provoked and thinking no evil? And you go down the list of 1 Corinthians 13, that's what we see here in Paul's letter to the 2 Corinthians. And probably if we had, if we had access to the tearful letter, it would be full of that kind of language as well. So he is magnifying God's love through tough love. And he writes a tearful letter. And even if the Corinthians misunderstand him, misunderstand the change of plans, misunderstand his boasting, he wants them to magnify, he wants to magnify God's grace, God's doesn't change, and God's love. Now we see here, and he's going to launch into his ministry. And uh, the rest of the book is a little easier to preach than the first part here. Um, and it's easier probably to read and apply. 
but for evaluating ourselves. Are we telling the truth in holiness? Is that the mark of a mature ministry? Whether it's parenting or teaching in a marriage, talking to your spouse at church, talking to a fellow believer at work if you work with other believers, telling someone the truth in holiness, godliness. If God witnessed our motives in ministry, are we confident enough to call God to evaluate internally our motives? Because this is where Paul's at. And this is where we can be as ministers of the gospel, ministers to people around us. God, you can show me anything that's wrong inside of me. And if it's not love for my, my fellow believer in my ministry, show me and I'll, I'll confess and forsake it. If God witnessed our motives in ministry, and actually he does witness our motives in ministry, but to have the boldness like Paul does to call God to witness shows that Paul's confidence is in God and that he's doing what God wants him to do, even if people misunderstand. Would God find that we don't force people to trust God? We don't lord it over their faith, as we see in verse 24. We allow them to come to their own conclusions of trusting God, and it's joyful to, to minister with people. What is our most loving way to confront a lack of trusting God or obeying Him in ministering to others? Is it a text? Is it a phone call? Is it a handwritten note or an email? A visit to their house or out for coffee? Everybody's different. Everybody will respond differently. But Paul evaluated his motives, evaluated why he changed his plans, and then came up with, you know what? I'll even call God to witness. I have nothing to hide. I want to show these people God's love. And the best way at this point to show them love was to write that tearful letter. So there's not one size fits all with ministry. There's not one way to confront someone. But you ask God to evaluate your heart, your motives for ministry, even if people misunderstand. And then you do something hard like writing a letter or like meeting with them. And all the while you're wanting to magnify God's grace. God doesn't change and magnify God's love. And you're expecting a response where people will trust God and they'll obey what you want them, uh, what God wants them to do uh, in his word. Let's pray. Our Father, you have seen our hearts in ministry as we minister to our families, as we minister to our spouse, as we minister to those in our church, as we minister to the world. It is likely all of us have had a lot of people misunderstand our ministry. And as they do, I, help, I pray that we would not be discouraged, but we would evaluate why we are ministering and how we're doing this. And if we're magnifying ourselves and our grace and our power or magnifying God's grace and his power and his love. And I pray that you would help us to adjust our motives if that's necessary. Give us, uh, uh, help us to adjust our methods of how we uh, reach out to people that we need to minister to and need to confront at times. And I pray that this will be done uh, with your love and your grace and that you don't change and with a sure understanding of who you are. And help us to know you and help us to reflect you in our ministry. In Jesus' name we pray.